Welcome to the one within all to Interverse, your podcast portal to the ineffable, the infinite, and tonight the downright spooky. While we often prefer to place our attention on the love and light side of the universal spectrum, the darkness and shadow is still half of the balance in our energetic equation. And thus, the subject matter at hand for this episode is the life and times of recent history's most famous emo kid, the prolific author of the abject and wielder of disconcerting adjectives, (laughs) Howard Phillips Lovecraft. Although not all of us may be familiar with his works, as I, for one, have only just a bit more than a surface level understanding on them, the far-reaching influence of his ill-illuminated imagination has pervaded a vast swath of modern culture. There are many questions on the table, but to begin, I'll pose just a few. What is it about the image-generating faculty of human consciousness that can potentially give rise to such vibrantly malicious mysterium? Why are human beings so often drawn to these ludicrously demented ideas? What occult influences, discarnate entities, and esoteric contemporaries did Lovecraft lean upon to prop up his little shop of horrors? And at the end of the day, does Cthulhu have so many tentacles because he really just wants to hug all of us at once? (laughs) <laughs> and what also, what can we learn by looking into the abyss other than the realization that it might also be staring back? Joining us for this chat is an all-star cast of creative minds who have each got a different slice of the podcast pie to offer up on our altar of darkness tonight with the biggest panel we've ever hosted on Interverse, uh, all of which have joined me and the gang on Weaving Spiders at one time or another. So I'm really excited to be bringing these people together. First up, we've got Gabriel, my personal synchromistic spirit animal. Slick dissident on YouTube with a cup overflowing of observations into this strange Lovecraftian landscape and a myriad of dots to connect for us. We're also joined by the brilliantly starry-eyed Kaylee Burkana, our very own court astrologer who's done a lot of digging into the sky clock configurations that correspond to the Lovecraft life path. And recent Interverse guest Mario Garza is with us as well who's working to the mini-layered cake of esoteric thought you can find at symbolicstudies.com. He's ready to help us see the variety of interpretations available within our other analyst ideas. And look out for Mario on Unslaved with Michael Tesserion later this week, a show we did together over the weekend that will definitely blow your mind if you are symbolically inclined. Last but not least, absolutely not the least, we've got Juan from the Juan to Juan podcast, and I am quite excited to bring his cagey brand of humor and insight to Interverse for the first time, likely not the last time. And tonight, Juan's got a lot to share on the life history and writings of H.P. Lovecraft, having only just recently resurfaced out of the old one's rabbit hole and published a brand new episode of his show on this very stuff only yesterday. So there's a lot to get into. I'm going to be doing my best not to really talk and just referee this conversation. There's so much on offer, so much research these people have done to bring us a great episode tonight. I'm really excited. As usual, the first hour is going to be for free on YouTube, and then we'll have a mid-show musical break and cut over to Rockfin. The Rockfin stream's going simultaneously right now, so if you look in the show notes, you can find a link to that, and I'll be posting it in the chat as we go. You'll definitely want to make sure you got access to the juicy bits an hour or two. You'll also be able to get it on my Patreon but it won't be uploaded till later because it's not easy to live stream to most of those places. But wow, we got the creepiest cast of weirdos and misfits I've ever seen on an Interverse episode. Super excited. What's up, my people? How's everybody doing? I take weird as a compliment. Thank you very much. It means master of fate. I'm ready. I'm ready for this. Your body is good. I'm stoked to be here. This is a fascinating subject, and there's so many threads to pull at. 
Yeah, the question is, who wants to start? <laughs> Should we start with giving maybe Juan a chance to tell us our, I'm sorry, Reverend Juan. That's right. The, Thank uh, you. The life history a little bit of, of uh, H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, we can we can talk about that, set the stage a little bit. And I think Lovecraft is in everyone's hearts. Even if you don't know who he is, he has influenced modern pop culture, liter- literature, right, on, on the levels that I say, even of William Shakespeare. And this was a very intriguing character in history, one of the most prolific letter writers of all time. Some say 75,000 letters, others say 100,000 letters. And he was very... He was a virtual hermit. He was a weirdo. He was a geek, I think. And he never really had a real job in his life. He only got married one time, probably had sex one time. Right. So this guy was this guy was weird. And throughout his life, he was writing and just writing and writing. And these letters that he wrote, he wrote extensively. It wasn't like, hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Know it was like letters, like books, just extensively. So we know a lot about his life. Some parts more than others, right? He was his his dad died of neurosyphilis at an early age when he was three, I believe. And I don't have my notes pulled up because I didn't know we're going to talk about this. But he his dad died when he was the age of three from neurosyphilis. He went insane. He was put in a in a hospital and they told him he was in a comatose state. But there's evidence that suggests otherwise. Later on in his life, his mother would also go down from a botched gallbladder operation. And she would be put in the same hospital as his father, coincidentally. And after, so I'm going to back up a little bit. His grandfather was the one that really, I think, set the tone. We're talking about a kid that was reading and reciting poetry by the age of six and seven. And one of the topics that we might touch on tonight is his obsession with Arabian Nights, right? Where they say that this is what inspired his alter ego, Abdul Al has read. And again, the supposed author of the Necronomicon, which we all know and love. And his grandfather had an occult, I don't want to say an occult library, but I pulled some stuff up. I don't know how true it is, but he supposedly, he was a Freemason and he did have some occult literature in his library at the time. We're talking about a a successful businessman at the time until they lost it all. And according to my friend Anton H.P. Shovecraft, the one that I did the episode with, he said they owned a dam and the dam broke and that spun them into where they would lose everything as a family. And from that, his grandfather died from the stress of that. And they just they lost everything. And one of the, the two books that stood out to me was the Picatrix, supposedly, that was in that in that library, which you can say is it's a book of talismanic magic, right? And these different entities. And it's a very interesting read if you haven't checked it out. And there was an, another book called Godzayer's Book of the Essence of the Soul, which again are things that potentially influenced Lovecraft and this mythos that he created. And later on in his life, he went through depression. He contemplated suicide and from losing the access to the library that his family had they had to move to some some cramped small quarters coming from a a victorian home which i believe is a is a is a museum now and he eventually got married and he would just write back and forth with his little pen pals that he had at the time and eventually this created the cthulhu mythos and like i said 
it's something that's always fascinated me. And I think a lot of people are big fans. Mind you, he was a racist. He was a product of his time. He was a product of his time, how we all are. So there are things that a lot of people criticize him for, which I don't encourage, but it is what it is. And we can't, it doesn't take away from his works that he was, uh, he, what he did for the horror genre. He was the one that a lot of, a lot of movies, the thing, uh, the, the color out of space with Nicolas Cage, all these movies that we see that have Lovecraftian aspects to them video games movies card games board games all these things come that sprouted from lovecraft and things that we use today and it's always draw i've always been drawn to the whole cosmicism aspect to it on it plays into the conspiracy theories that i talk about on my show where there are these entities outside the fabric of reality that govern our lives that we don't even begin to comprehend and that was the one thing that Lovecraft really put into perspective where the, the, the indifference that we're just a speck of nothingness in this vast ocean of the universe of whatever this reality is. And there are forces, which I believe the elites, the reptilian overlords are in contact with maybe with Cthulhu, who knows? And they let these things govern what goes on in, in this real life. And I've always been into Dungeons and Dragons and all the, you know, the occult things and it's always piqued my interest so of course i've read lovecraft and has i've always been into him ever since i was in probably middle school high school so yeah i think when i did that episode i we always land on these topics synchronous like synchronistic right we we i bring up these ideas and being part of this community that we're in things start to pop up and then you have people like gabe and you have people like Kaylee and Mario who connect the dots. And that's what we're here for, for a good, not a long time, but a good time. So here we are. And that's a, a brief background on H.P. Lovecraft, where, again, it was he was born in the late 1800s and he only lived a short life. He did die of cancer eventually. And I think I believe he died at the same hospital that his family also died. So there's this Lovecraftian curse, if, if per se, that has been like the shadow over Innsmouth, if you will, uh, above this family. And that being, again, the shadow, wanting to conquer that shadow within all of us and, and you know, master that. So that's my little intro, and I'm, I'm excited to get into it. And I brought up a couple of things on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I just made that while you're talking. Oh, my side hurts, bro. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's too early to start laughing, man. But I brought up a couple the the thing that really that really pushed me over the edge was when I mentioned on I did a TikTok clip and I said, what if H.P. Lovecraft through his collection of Oriental pottery, he got possessed, right? Because we know the, the, the most famous jinn that we know about is Aladdin, the genie in the bottle. So who's to say that something didn't attach himself Right. These lower vibrational entities needed. Right. That's what the reptilians want. They needed uh, the creativity of man, the divine spark in order to bring these things to fruition and bring these things into this realm. So when I made that TikTok clip, TikTok, I was being called a pseudo intellect because the great old ones have no master. And so that was the whole thing. Not that Cthulhu was a jinn, but that the jinn was Cthulhu and he was the one puppeteering. Right. And it connects to other figures in history, other mystics, if you will, in history. And here we are. And I think that's what kind of sprouted this impromptu show that we came 
to 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 come up here last minute and make this happen. So yeah, I'm excited to see what else we can dig up on the old Lovecraft. Yeah, often those last minute things come together more beautifully than the best planned things. So I really like that breakdown and you touched on a lot of points that are going to be extremely relevant, particularly like his poor health and how that might have influenced his entire cosmology. Did you mention that he was like a bizarrely a staunch atheist as well? Yes, he was uh, just materialistic and according to his writings. But again, that's up for interpretation. And and the reason I say that is because we know, right, the guy that we all love to hate, Aleister Crowley, he had works of fiction, fiction, right? The Moonchild book, where it was a work of fiction, but yet it could have been based on true events. And now to withhold judgment from the people, maybe you put it out as pseudo as fiction but in reality we know we'll do that yeah it's the occult it's the occult for a reason he stated in his letters genuflect book was really about her personal experiences but was put out as fiction yes Yes. i want to hone in on a a little bit of what you just laid down Mm -hmm. you know we i'm sure that we're all mature enough to realize that there's no way everybody on the panel has the exact same worldview or sort of belief about these things like for me When it comes to the idea of entities outside of reality, I struggle with that linguistically because I'm like, well, (laughs) reality is existence and thus it's everything that exists. So how could you be, how can something exist outside of existence, you know? But I don't dispute that there are layers to the onion beyond what we can perceive. And so it's really just a semantics issue Mm -hmm. when it comes down to it. Although I don't really share the whole like, uh, you know, some people will take this type of cosmology and the cosmic indifference thing really far and to a a sort of dark Gnosticism place where like the world is a prison and whatever, there's no, there's no loving creator or creator at all. It's all just random and chaos. Uh, I want to point out that idea of cosmic indifference because there's a particularly popular podcaster out there, at least, at least in the few years prior, he was really big Mark Passio, who I first learned a lot of natural law concepts from. And he would really put forth and hammer home this idea that he called cosmic abandonment, which is kind of similar to cosmic indifference. His whole thing was that the primary trauma that human beings have suffered in the realm that have, has led us to this sort of generational psychopathy and all the different manifestations of evil in the world through humanity was that idea that we feel abandonment similar to the idea of a child abandoned by his parents being their most powerful trauma that we've humanity feels abandoned by its creator, which I think is really more like uh, a knowledge gap rather than a truth or in reality, because it's a perspective gap, because if you pay attention to nature and you start to, we learn these symbolic correspondences and we recognize the, amazing mystical architecture of how everything is connected then it seems like maybe we weren't abandoned and maybe this was made for us and it's in a perfected state and it's just us that is you know smearing poop on the walls (laughs) (laughs) anyway who else wants to weigh in well i've got a few points i I don't want to slip through the crack just from what juan put down there you know i've been seeing a lot of signals in the in the uh higher up elite circles and they didn't have much context for me. I didn't know what I was seeing, but I was definitely seeing these sim, uh, signals. And then Juan, uh, I was on his show a couple weeks ago, and he absolutely put a crucial 
puzzle piece together for me. And that was when he told me that H.P. Lovecraft was fascinated with Arabian Nights. And all of a sudden, I had, uh, I, I had so much uh, context for so many of these signs and symbols that I've been seeing. And a lot of you guys were with us on Saturday when I, you know, when I started going off putting these things together. But one of the major signs and symbols of very elite influential personas uh, using Arabian Nights themes uh, to kind of indicate that they're in the club and to nudge, nudge, wink, wink at each other. Uh, one of the real big pieces for me is that when you take Joe Biden's name and Kamala Harris's name and you break them into syllables, you can rearrange the syllables to spell Joe Can and Bai Harris. And those are the gates of Solomon's temple, is Joachim and Boaz. And that tells you that you're being initiated, and there is more to know beyond. There's more here. There's something else beyond this. And so the syllables that you did not use can be reconfigured to the words Allah Den, which is Aladdin. And when you look at Aladdin, the movie, he had an alter ego. And his alter ego's name was Obabwa, which is Barack Obabwa, Barack Obama. And so this is when I realized that they are all in the club and there is way more to know beyond this. And then uh, Chance brought it up on Saturday that Aladdin software is basically, uh, I mean, I don't know. Let me go into that. Yeah. Aladdin software is the BlackRock proprietary AI system that what? handles something like $21 trillion worth of funding and finances and stock trading and all kinds of stuff. And it's like, you maybe have heard of the idea of like the, the black box that has replaced humans in the stock trading market for the yes. big game. Yes. Well, it's this thing. This is the OG thing. So right. Kaylee dropped out and she's back in in a different form. She has returned, renewed. <laughs> I've transformed. <laughs> I'm glad you joined the, the hooded club. We all got hats on. That would be a bingo square if this was Weaving Spiders. Welcome. But yeah, what, when it comes to this idea of Aladdin, BlackRock's AI that controls the finances of such a huge percentage of the world's economy that it would make your head spin and your heart sink probably. It goes to exactly what Gabriel's talking about. In the big yep. club, there's a huge, I mean, it's all replete throughout masonry too, the symbolism of the Orient, if you will, the Middle mm-hmm. East. So yeah, there's a lot there. And AI, even as a concept, it's been said that is summoning the demon. Elongated Muskrat said that specifically. <laughs> Others have said that. And I think that when we're looking at the concept of disincarnate entities, it's really that we just don't understand what kind of body they're in mm-hmm. or that they are. And that it's an electricity or a form of life force energy, dirty electricity, taking on the shape of its container or vessel or the circuitry that it's trapped within in a loop, caught in a loop, energy disconnected from source that is in this technological imprisonment. I think like with the dark Gnostic idea of the demiurge and all that, the aspects and the, the members of secret societies, I won't say they're all like this, not every Mason or whatever, but the members that have this belief in cosmology tend to try and create that very existence in the world itself, whether it's through being the the God of an AI in its machine, transhumanism, all of it connects. So I want to add to that chance. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to kick it over to, to Mario first and see where his thoughts are landing. And, you know, I'm trying to play panel referee. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> so no, hang I appreciate on one. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, regardless of how Lovecraft's work came to be, um, we know that he was tapped in, you know, and so he kind of updated uh, the Pantheon, an older Pantheon for modern sensibilities, you know, and my angle with all of this is trying to understand his influence on the occult world since he published his work. And I don't know if people really realize, but um, his stuff is influential, obviously on a pop culture level, but also on a black magical underground sort of level. Right. And so there are a number of books that are basically, um, you know, expressing this Lovecraftian magic, this, uh, this black magical sort of way of looking at things. And um, the angle for me too, that really got me interested in this material was realizing that there's this reverence and this nod to the North and the North star and Ursa major that I think goes really, really under the radar, but I've found material that makes direct reference to it. And I've highlighted some quotes that I can read for you guys. And uh, maybe I might do that in the second hour, if that makes sense. But that's kind of the thing for me that really, really grabbed my attention was this Northern symbolism, because anyone who's been following my stuff, I'm such a geek for that. Right. And so when I found out that Lovecraft was kind of seeding this in his work and that some of these black magical groups make use of these references and connect it to older pantheons and older gods and everything else, my head just exploded, you know? Yeah, man, I'm looking forward to what you've got dug up there. Yeah. And Kaylee has sent me, I think, like six astrological charts. <laughs> yes. You want to talk about, you know, give maybe the thousands of view of what you found in there. And uh, if there's a particular one of these charts you want to zoom in on right now to uh, uh, highlight some of the points we started out with in his history. Uh, I don't want to look at those charts yet. Not yet. But um, we will look at them later. So I, I sent you three sets of charts for three events that we know happened in his life for the dates to look at what transits were happening for him personally and the progressions in his chart. Um, and uh, yeah, so obviously I, I'm coming at this from an astrological perspective. And uh, when I learned about the connection between H.P. Lovecraft and Pluto, I was like, oh, really? Because Pluto, the theme of Pluto in astrology is all about the dark, the deep transformation and rebirth, sure, but the the darker side first before that transformation occurs. Um, so I spent a bit of time looking up like just some of the history of Pluto itself um, and then looking at like some of the things um, uh, in his life that like either corresponded or just crossed over. And so I was just doing a little bit of a historical diving um, and just I just started smiling <laughs> when uh, uh, Mario mentioned um, the North Star and the nod to the North Star, because do you know where Pluto was in the sky when it was discovered? No. It was in the sign of cancer where Ursa Major and Ursa Minor are. Oh, I see. 
That's interesting. Okay. Wow. Right by. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah. Right. By the gates. Yeah. Specifically, it was at it was at seventeen degrees and forty six minutes of tropical cancer. So pretty, pretty, pretty close. So I thought that was really, really fascinating. Um, so, but yeah, anyways, there's, there's lots of little stuff like that. Just a quick clarification. So when you say that, do you mean Ursa Major uh, and Minor are in the wedge that cancer also exists in, in the Deccan, basically? That's what yeah. you're referring to? Okay, I see. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, yeah that's fascinating. So yeah. just a uh, one quick theory I want to put out there and that, that we can maybe start to build up is there one of two things it seems to be going on here. Either the, everything we're about to lay out, it's just too perfect, it's too coincidental, it's just absolutely the perfect spell. And so conceivably, what I'd like to just put in people's minds is maybe all of this is like the first and largest LARP, black magic LARP, of all time in that these people, these people's birthdays are just. Gabe, did you see the comment in the chat to start calling the nefarious prankster, Royal inbred occult groups, lack magical. Lack <laughs> of black magic. magical. I like magical. I, yes, I like because that because it, the whole idea of black magic just demonizes an entire half of the yin yang of nature. Right. right. And they're working in fiction. That is their domain. That is the realm that they are the masters of. They're the masters of fiction. So it has to be a false construct. Coming from outside of reality, because it's fiction. Because it's fiction. So then this is where uh, also our subconscious, they can seed our fears, you know, that false energy appearing real. That is that that's where that's fertile ground for them. And so all these ideas, what I want to do today is I want to approach this with the opinion that maybe all of this is bullshit. And that it is just a big fabrication of immense proportions. Uh, and I just want to put forward that these are the masters of fiction. And so, and if not, if I'm wrong, and that is his birthday, and all these things actually do line up in the most perfect way, um, then it gives us a better perspective of the magnitude of the opponent and the, the monster that we are up against. because. You know, we're going to bring in weather control. We're going to bring in the Typhonian order and, you know, people who uh, claim to be able to summon typhoons and storms. Uh, that's part of the lineage of these black magicians. It goes back hundreds of years. And the uh, the full scope of things is a lot for people to even consider. But uh, uh, to put this in context, Pluto is about to return. Exactly from the location it was at the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Wow. And that is the width and breadth of the spell that I think we are about to attempt to put words to and give perspective on the fact that Pluto is going to return from 1776. Yeah, I also don't think that it's an accident that we're talking about it now. Um, the reason why I think that is because when Pluto was discovered, the south node of the moon, so the north and the south node of the moon are two points that basically talk about, it's, it's where the sun and the moon's ecliptic paths cross, right? So where those points are is where we have eclipses. So when Pluto was discovered, the south node was in Scorpio, which is 
where astrologers have assigned Pluto to rule. So Pluto now rules Scorpio. So the south node in Scorpio, and now just this year, the south node has moved back into Scorpio. So it goes around every 18 years, but the fact that this is coming up now is just mind-blowing to me. So we've got the Pluto return in the United States. We've got South Node in Scorpio. <laughs> so it's almost like we're having um, a karmic repeat, if that makes sense. Just kind of super bare-bones explanation. That's kind of, that's where I was thinking when I was looking up this and stuff to, today. And to add on the Pluto talk, let's not forget, okay? Let's not forget that H.P. Lovecraft talked about something at the outer skirts of our solar system before Pluto was discovered. And now that you guys are bringing all this stuff together, because it's just blowing my mind, there is a feature on Pluto named after Lovecraft's Cthulhu. Okay, so let's not forget that, that Pluto is playing a big role in this. Pluto being Mickey Mouse's dog, all yep. these things that come together. Where is it? Is it a coincidence? Are we conspiracy? Theory? I'm wearing my tinfoil hat on right now, but... I don't know. It just makes too much sense. But let's not forget that there's a feature on Pluto yep. named after Cthulhu. Yeah. And the second, the second law of the second hermetic principle is correspondence, which basically means sounds like, is like, looks like, relates to. All of these things are key ingredients, crucial ingredients to magic. That's right. Exactly. Good point, man. Also, just on a synchronistic level, too, it kind of makes sense that we're talking about this in Pisces, in my opinion. You know, it's the end of the Zodiac. You know, uh, we've been in this celestial ocean for a little while now. You know, it corresponds with the moon card, which is like very like mysterious. And you're dealing with like the subconscious or unconscious. And there's a lot of people who think, too, that, you know, when you're talking about these ancient gods like Cthulhu, that, you know, maybe a more practical correspondence is that you're talking about our subconscious or unconscious, right? Yes. There's people who take that to like the next level and they're like, no, that's really what you're dealing with, right? And so all of the gods are within us, including the Lovecraftian ones. Nice. Fortunately or unfortunately, right? <laughs> yeah, man. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I was looking up um, Pluto and Pluto's discovery. And is my sound better, guys? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Cool. So yeah, so I was looking this up because uh, I thought that was fascinating, and I remembered I remembered reading that um, Lovecraft was super into astronomy and was very well read in astronomy, so much so that he was writing his own like mm-hmm. pamphlets journals, and stuff yep. for journals. Yes, thank you, journals. So anyway, I was looking it up, um, and uh, so uh, the search for Planet X is how this started and i'm just going to adjust my audio a little bit more okay and x and, is a big is a big thing right now Every, yes. everything is x even the word climate change the word change is a mutable x hulu plus lgbtq plus all of those x's those are mutable signs uh, totally. Sorry. That's okay. Um, yeah. So in 1902, there's a, an astronomer named uh, Percival Lowell who do, who discovered that the orbits of his comets that he was seeing um, kind of indicated that there was some other planet beyond Neptune, but they didn't have any proof of this yet. Um, and he didn't find it before he died, unfortunately. So anyway, he died, um, and one of his students, Clyde uh, Tombaugh. Tombo, I believe his name is pronounced. Um, he actually was the one that picked up his work and discovered it. So Pluto's officially dis- official discovery was uh, February 18th, 1930. 
And Lovecraft didn't die until 1937. So he would have known about this mysterious planet X and that they were looking for this planet. And he probably would have found out that there was something actually discovered. So I think that's super cool. Um, And just... Just one, one more thing to throw into the fire. <laughs> yeah, thirty-seven is a very important number for a lot of my uh, my worldview and systems. Uh, the thirty-seventh degree parallel is the Mason-Dixon line. It is where I place my equinox on my territories work. So when I see thirty-seven, it is not. I don't believe in coincidences, so uh, that's very meaningful right there. Oh yeah, you what? You see Providence, maybe? Wasn't Morpheus, wasn't it? Was it HP Lovecraft? Well did he did he sign letters as I am Providence? Mm-hmm. You got it. And Mor- Morpheus was nudging, nudging, wink, wink. It's on his tombstone. A nod that he's in the club when he said, I do not see coincidence. I see Providence. That's the seeing eye of Providence. And Providence is CIA? a very important location. Is it yeah. the CIA? <laughs> the and also Providence it, above the A-shaped pyramid, CIA. And, and also, he talked about the Silver Gate, right? And 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 Morpheus to add some 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 wood to the fire. He talked about right. I can only show you the Matrix. It's your you have to walk through that door, right? So the Silver Gate, I think, is Yog Sagoth, the one that guards it. Right. That silver key. OK, you have that silver key, silver being another thing. Right. Alchemy yeah. and all this stuff. So it's got a lot to do. Again, if the, he he states that he didn't have enough money or time to be an occultist. And that's why people go, oh, he wasn't an occultist, but it's a cult for a reason. I mean, uh, some people are going to talk about it. Some people aren't. And you can't deny the fact that all his aspects, all these things in his stories are occult. They're a cult AF. You know what I mean? They're there. It's there. If he was a practicing occultist or not, maybe he's like me. I researched the occult. Do I practice it? No, maybe. But a lot of his, his things in his works was a cult. So I, I, again, that's there. Especially his name. That's your introduction. That's your initiation. I started looking into his name and all kinds of twilight speak, double, double meanings, nested meanings within meanings started popping out like crazy, but we'll get into that later. You got something, Mario? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, it is a cult and there's a reason why his work has taken off the way it has with occultists, right? Over the last, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years or something like that. And people just keep on adding to the pantheon and kind of refining it and coming out with these different rituals and spells and different versions of the Necronomicon. Um, and everything else. And kind of for me, what I think about is the fact that I don't think people would do this if it didn't work. <laughs> so if there wasn't some basis that actually was like functional in some way for these people, I don't think that there would be this whole kind of like mini industry of like Lovecrafty and like spell books and workings and, and all this kind of stuff, you know? Great it's chaos magic. Make yeah. a really good point there. I think what maybe going on is like a public initiation into the type of you know okay so symbols connect to other symbols that share correspondence and meaning so for all we know there's already some kind of big daddy egregore as in Mm -hmm. massive thought form of collected human energy mental energy that has got some sort of a, a link or a tap right into 
the ceremonial magical workings that get given out to nerds who just like horror role playing games and stuff like that. And maybe then go and practice some of the stuff in the books. I don't know, but it's been a thing in the modern, the modern mystery schools and probably ancient ones that at a certain point at your initiation levels, you accept into yourself or into your energy field entities that will give you power for something in return. And usually that something in return has everything to do with your free will and autonomy to do anything against the group or go outside of whatever directives you've been given. I mean, I don't know. I haven't been there, but I've heard the I've heard plenty of stories like this from the golden dawn to even some, some branches of Freemasonry. I can't say point the finger at everybody everywhere that's involved with some kind of a secret society or occult teaching, but the fact is there that they, at least they believe that they can interact with what is probably presented to the initiate as entities that exist, pre-existing old ones, whatever elemental beings, these type of ideas, angels, demons, what have you, Jen, definitely Jen. Yeah. Uh, But it could be that they're being created by the collective belief in some way. Yes. It's energy that's being put into a container that has the shape of whatever the name of the thing is. Mm -hmm. Another. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Another uh, uh, interesting theme of Pluto that connects to a lot of the topics we've been talking about lately. lately. Um, Scorpio and Pluto also have very close ties to childbirth, to pregnancy. And that connects directly to the Mm. whole placenta conversations that we've been talking about. And Pluto's like death and life, right? Rebirth. So Mm. it's the cycle. And there's a point brought up in the chat about Pluto. Well, and Pluto's also the inheritance, right? It's the inheritance. That's the placenta too. Yes, exactly. And the fact that Pluto was discovered while he was transiting Capricorn, not Capricorn, sorry, Cancer is just like, it's just one more, one more little like piece of the puzzle that just, continues to blow my mind right that's brilliant and, and number nine is the most pregnant let number there is it's a little the sperm mutable number that there is it's as, just as yes. you're about to cross, cross over the threshold it's a little and sperm bro that's why you got it, it. Like and number nine, nine eventually yep. if i pull up the enneagram we'll see that number nine is at the crown it's at the top of the enneagram and it represents pluto in enneagram systems Gotcha. Yeah. And also um, under the uh, vortex based mathematical way of looking at things, it's the queen number, right? Nice. If I'm not mistaken. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. It's the sperm, which is why it relates to the hermit card, which is number nine in Virgo. Yes. Oh, yes. and here we go. Okay. And then I'll bring this up later, but I'll just put a footnote <sighs> in it. When I pull up my territories, guess where Providence is? The Gooch. Providence, Rhode Island, that is, which Providence, is where that's Rhode where Lovecraft Island lived, right? Is right yes. at the spot where you cross over from Leo into Virgo. It's right at the at that liminal space in between. Which is and his he, sun sign. And he was like a uh, a virgin. He he was a shut in for most mm-hmm. of his life. Mm-hmm. He was relatively abstinent as far as we can tell. His Wasn't wife his sun made sign a... Leo right on the Virgo cusp, Kaylee? Sorry? Isn't his sun sign Leo on the Virgo cusp too? Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Um, guess how old he was when he got married. Just take a wild guess. 33. Yes. <laughs> and his wife made him read like 
what's it called? Kama Sutra where to practice sex. Cause he didn't know what he didn't know what love was. He was super awkward and he lost his virginity at the age of 33 Two, mind you, he was a super racist and he married a Russian Jew. Okay. So again, and she was the one that was making him read all these books about sex and love and all these things. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And I, and I wanted to bring up, I mean, we're talking about Lovecraft. It wouldn't be Lovecraft if we didn't touch on the mythos and earlier or, you know, all these aspects of, of mind and, and dreams as a thought, whether it's just the powerful creator that made this existence, we're his dream. We're in this, they call him the blind idiot God. And this is his dream right now. So again, this whole thing of, of these things existing outside the realm of reality, that time has zero effect on them. This is, this is what it's all about. And we know that these occultists, right? The, what are they called? Lack magics guys. Is that what we're going to call them? <laughs> Lack magic. magicians. Lack like magicians. <laughs> they, they use symbolism. Like at my wife's job, her time card system is Kronos, right? right. Father time, Kronos. I'm like, what? When she, she was on the phone. I was like, what would you just say? She's like, Kronos. I'm like, do you know who that is? The black cube, the black cube of Saturn. Like, you know what I mean? Like they don't, people don't understand this stuff, but as how chance was talking that we're carrying this intent. That's why I tell people know your history. Cause a lot of the things that you're using and reading and in taking, and we know that health is more, is not just what you physically eat. It's what you ingest as well mentally. And these things, it, there's the, the reoccurring theme in Lovecraftian horror is people who, peek through to the other side, this forbidden knowledge and the great old ones, the deep ones, the, all the elder things, the outer gods, they latch on to people's thoughts. They have nothing else. They just drive people insane, which again, if we all know from looking down rabbit holes and Nietzsche says, if you look deep down into the abyss, eventually the abyss is going to look back into you. So yeah. again, these thought forms, these, these egregores, these are real things that people don't understand that, that, that it's, it, it's real. It, it, this is, it's not just fake. It's not, they don't just make movies about this shit. It's yeah. real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to bring the spiritual perspective to what you're saying right there. You mentioned Lovecraft's concept of the Demiurg type entity. Uh, he called it Azazoth, right? And yeah, the, the great deity. Yeah. So there's this thing put forward about the deity Azazoth that is dreaming all of reality mm-hmm. that if, that there are, sub beings within this reality that are older, more powerful, eternal things that their whole role is to like, keep him asleep. Yes. Keep him lulled to sleep because otherwise everything would cease to exist. If he woke up, I think this idea and getting to the basically repackaged fictionalized Gnostic belief system, not all Gnosticism, but the sort of pop culture Gnosticism we get now about the demiurge, about reality being a prison, about everything being fake, about the matrix, all these things that are pushed on us, they come from the fear that the the guys like Lovecraft or other occultists that are power-seeking, in a sense, bring to the equation when they go and tap into the inner light or they try to connect to source. They try to break some of the barriers of consciousness into an expanded consciousness experience. What that is doing is it, it infuses your whole being with light. And whenever you have the experience of a higher dimensionality for a, a temporary spell and you bring to that experience your own fear and the impurity of your own health and your bioelectricity being um, dirty in a sense, in some way, your, your vessel being cracked, what happens is that influx of energy just amplifies what you've already got. So it makes perfect sense to me that these lack magicians 
when they go through their rites and rituals that maybe had origins in a more ancient and purified practice that maybe prepared the body better before and prepared the initiate better Mm -hmm. to receive a higher level of expanded consciousness. Well, they go into that experience all demented to begin with. And what they get is just the most fearful thing that you could ever amplify, which is that, oh, if I go too far, if I push this door open too far, then I will cease to exist because I'll blip right out of this fake fictional world. And that's the greatest fear for the ego you could ever have because then everything that you built or owned and had disappears. I know because I've had this fear before. (laughs) I know because I've had experiences like this before where I started to like kind of phase into a a, a wider spectrum of, of existence and a bigger, a bigger witnessing of nature. But I went into it with, uh, you know, impurities and the experience for me was like the ultimate fear was that I was going to cease to exist or that this reality was going to disappear. So I'm speaking from experience here that I know that some of these guys crack open doors that they're not ready to crack open. And when you shine a lot of light into your body vessel, it's going to show exactly what's there. And if it's contaminated and impure, then it's going to be something scary that you witness there. Yeah. Right. And a lot, a lot of people are, have a a habit of uh, assuming a passive posture when they go, like when you uh, consume a lot of horror film, you, you go into a passive agree, you have agreed to pretend you've paid in advance to just sit back and take it in and go along for the ride. And uh, that's something that I've gotten really good at is I'm in control of my imagination. I am, I'm steering this ship and I'm not letting anybody try to uh, put me in a state of fear. Sorry, Mario, were you going to say something? Oh, no, you're all good, dude. Um, Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, some of these black magical groups, um, they actually vet some of their new initiates by seeing if they could go through some of these rituals and seeing actually if they come out with their psyche still intact, essentially. And so they figure, you know, if you made it through this ritual, you're good. You know, you can join us and do other workings or what have you. And Mm -hmm. if you can't hang, then you can't hang sort of thing. So they use this actually as a tool. And then one other thing I was going to say as well is that from my understanding, some of the Lovecraftian groups that are working um, with the lore for their workings, um, some of it is to contact uh, various entities from this mythos. Mm-hmm. But another component is that they're, they believe that they can use the mythology and this reverence and uh, working with the North Star and Ursa Major as a gateway out of here. So it's like an astral sort of portal thing where they can take off and then uh, do whatever workings uh, they can do on the astral level and then come back. And so yeah. in a lot of ways, um, these books and these rituals and spells and stuff are tapping into a lot of other uh, ascension material. And so that's one of the books that I've read that kind of bridges the gap between what's going on with these groups and other uh, cultures and whatnot, ascending, um, using their vessel. Sometimes yeah. it's referred to as like the Merkaba or chariot or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of different ways of looking at it, you know, but uh, part of the goal is to actually take off and then return. Man, I just had a huge revelation while you were speaking, man. What's up? Ursa Major, that's a five and a four. Chance, Saturn, and Jupiter. That's two pillars. That's the gates, the two pillars of the temple. U and M is a five and a four. Five is the shape of Saturn. Four is the shape of the symbol for Jupiter. Whoa. 
Well, yeah, exactly, man. One of the books that I'm going to reference later in the second hour is The Gates of the Necronomicon, and it's all about Ursa Major. Oh, we're going to have a fun second hour. Let's take our time. He's he's in. I want to share. Can I share a chance? The screen? Oh, yeah. It depends on if Kaylee had something to pop into this part. Yeah, yeah. just been on because she may. That's good. Keep going. I'm just, it's fun. I got a couple. I got a couple little proofs to kind of prove our words here. Let's see. Okay. Can you pull me up? Am I pulled up? I don't think I see your share yet in my interface. So you always have this issue, Gabe. <laughs> I do. Something came along, came around, because I've been able to do this before. This was the only that thing that interrupted the perfect and seamless production of this episode, Gabriel. How dare you? It, <laughs> just kidding, man. I feel like something changed because I have shared on StreamYard many times before. Let's see. They don't want you to drop your knowledge. It's up now. And oh. here, let me know when you're ready for me to show it. Looks like you are. I'm ready. All right. So here we have HP Lovecraft's birthday. August. Can you 20th. zoom in on some of that text with the mouse wheel? Yeah. Cool. And I'll let you drag it around with by clicking. Yeah. Perfect. So here we have him on August 20th, right on the cusp of, he's basically a Leo, about almost a Virgo. And here we have, this is the, this is called a pre-scovery date, or pre-covery is the day that uh, the first indication that Pluto existed came exactly on his birthday when Whoa. he was one, nine years old. 19, that's an AI. One, nine is an AI. That's also an archway of initiation. One, nine. It's a full spectrum. There's pillars right there. Uh, also, his death date was one day after Pi Day. 314 is Pi Day. He died the day after Pi Day. <laughs> I find that very significant. Sorry for the, in here, one more thing I wanted to pull up. That's I had Pi before we came on stream. <laughs> you gave us the infinite recursion loop. <laughs> it's Sorry. so tricky when that happens. No, it's okay. Are you guys, can you see me now? Yep. Okay. This is what I was really interested in right here. Yes. So this is very interesting. So from after listening to uh, Juan's uh, show, which everybody should go over to Juan Juan to Juan and uh, check out all of his work. But uh, I was listening to how Lovecraft's mother and his aunts would take care of him. They were overly protective. And this triggered some of my other knowledge of history in that the royal Russian family, the Russian family, the royal house, RH, royal house of Russia, had hemophilia because they were so inbred, they were unable to, uh, for their blood could not clot because they were so inbred. Mm-hmm. And so Alexei of the, the last of the royal bloodlines in Russia, Alexei had a clogging, a blood clotting issue. And so he had a nanny who would follow him around everywhere. And they were overprotective of him, and he hated it. So that so when Juan was discussing how uh, Lovecraft had overprotective matriarchs, I started to consider: could he be of the royal bloodlines? Could he also have hemophilia? And that's very interesting because Rhode Island Providence has an R H in the name Rhode Island. Whoa! And he was obsessed with his 
station, his birth as a yes. you know yes. gentry, if you will. Yes. So I looked up hemophilia, and I find out that the word hemophilia has a, a very technical uh, um, definition: is blood lover, one who loves blood. A hemo is blood, and philia is to love. So now we're in the vampire mode. And now we are straight looking at vampires. Psychic vampires, yeah. You know, there were uh, things that I read that said that there were periods in his childhood where he wouldn't even go out until nighttime. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was a virtual hermit. He would literally. This is why I wore this because there's a there was a time in in HP Lovecraft's life where he would literally walk around like this, and he would look straight ahead, almost like like vampires kiss Nick Cage, where he would just, I'm a vampire, you know, like like the whole thing. Again, it 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 makes total sense to me. I don't know about you guys, but it makes sense to me. So yes. that's going to take us right into our conversation about the Typhonian Orders, who on a recent. I don't remember if it was 69 or 68, but I was diving in for us on the order of the vampire within the temple of set, a subgroup within there. And, you know, they're, they were like laughing at the idea of blood drinking, but I think that concept is still valid, very valid because the, even the etymology of the vampire, it connects us right back to the, the ones with fire. P Y R pure. Yes. Pur, pure. Yes. Pure bloods. Shit. Even when they're called the pure bloods, they're talking about the fire. They're talking about the pirates, the pirates, the skull yep. and bones, the skull and crossbones. It all links into this symbolism of the the upward pointing triangle, if you will. There's yes. so much to that. I mean, I'm just and, scratching the surface. And his name is Howard Phillips. How red fills his lips. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way you think, dude. Yeah, brother. I got a couple. I'm going to save it for the second hour. I like did some, some, not just anagrams. I started like, I broke, I broke one of my rules for this one. And I started getting into like some sigil work. Uh, I like to keep it anagrams because anagrams are objective truth. You know, it, you, you don't leave any letters out. You use all the letters and it says something crystal clear. But for this one, I, you know, I had to flip the M and I turned the V into a U, so it was old Coptic language. I, I broke a few rules for this, but I'll save that for the last one. You bad boy. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Rule breaker. <laughs> hey, well, I want to kick it over to Kaylee and see if there's anything that we can dive into astrologically right now. Because I don't want to leave the first half without... I know that you're going to have a lot to with say. No but gravy? With no <laughs> I don't want to okay, leave the first do- half without all the good... Without any of the big insights that you've gleaned out of the charts, I'd be really, you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I was trying to um, look at certain events that happened to see if I could see them in the charts. And turns out you fucking can. And honestly, I think this guy had a ridiculous amount of karma because it's, it's, it's terrifying. Um, (laughs) So chance, actually, if you could open, um, uh, to save you guys from the horrible screen flicker, so we don't have to deal with my graphics card, I'm going to get a chance to do all the legwork for me. Thanks, Chance. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, if you could pull up the... I don't even have to first, use my legs. <laughs> the, the, the first date of stuff that I sent you, um, the progressed chart for July 19th, 1898. Yeah. 
So that is the date that his father died. Um, so you want to zoom in there. So the blue planets on the inside, that's his birth chart. Okay. Then the orange planets on the outside, these are the progressed planets. So what a progression is basically is every year after you were born, your chart moves forward one day. So the sun will move forward one degree every year. Um, most of the other planets move pretty pretty slowly, and the moon will make the most movement, all right? So when you're looking at a progression and you're trying to, like, identify when events are going to happen and whatnot, essentially um, what you're looking for are conjunctions between a progressed planet and a natal planet. Um, or squares or oppositions, but conjunctions are the most powerful. Um, and as you can see just from this chart, the sun and the outside wheel is now sitting uh, less than two degrees over top of his natal Saturn. Um, and when it comes to Saturn, Saturn is considered like the Lord of Karma and death. And you guys know all the Saturn mythos, right? Which wow. is mentioned in Cro and, Kronos. <laughs> and he was three years old. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. a Saturnian number. Thirty years is a Saturnian year. Whoa. That's hardcore. Yeah. But um, to to kind of make the the case a little stronger, so the the houses in the natal chart that rule your parents are the fourth and the tenth house. So they are labeled IC and MC. The IC is in Capricorn. The MC is in Cancer. Incidentally, uh, less than a degree from where Pluto was actually discovered. So that's kind of interesting. I just noticed that just now. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and um, so the the ruler of Capricorn would be Saturn. So this Sun conjuncting Saturn um, is kind of like it's like it's like setting off a trigger point. Um, but I didn't get enough information just from this progression to be like, okay, yeah, that's definitely it. That that definitely happened. I needed to look at the transit as well. So if you want to pull up the other chart that I sent you for July 19th, 1898. It's like, okay, so like the sun is coming in and, and triggering that really hardcore T-square that he's got. A T-square, sorry. Sorry. Lingo. <laughs> T-square is when you have two planets in opposition. So in his chart, he has Mars opposite Pluto. And then the T-square refers to one square, or sorry, one planet that is 90 degrees away from both of those points. So this is <laughs> a lot, a lot a very short amount of time, but hopefully you guys are staying with me here. So big-ass red line, this thick red yeah, line. Yeah, that's the opposition that I'm talking about, right? So for the transits, so while his progressed sun is now sitting on top of his Saturn, indicating something to do with authority, and his father or mother, Saturn could be either or, hadn't decided yet at this point. Thank you, Chance. <laughs> While the sun is sitting on top of his Saturn, um, Venus comes in and conjuncts that point as well. But then if you look down at where his natal Mars is, Saturn is now um, transiting in that spot. So the, the planet of fucking karma... <laughs> <laughs> is now conjuncting his Mars, which is all about your vitality and your energy. And oh. for, his, for his chart, Mars rules his seventh house. 
and his second house. Second house has to do with like your physical body, your values, food, etc. Seventh house is like partnerships, but it's a very important planet. So the planet of like death <laughs> and time is activating one part of this massive T square while the sun um, in his progress chart is activating another huge part of this T square. So it was just like a matter of time before these planets like went and then hit that massive T square for things to happen in his real life. And then a parent died. Um, wow. So that's pretty hardcore like how it like goes around like that anyway so you said it it rules over his food and it's the red planet it's the blood red planet (laughs) having to do with food (laughs) i'm just pointing out i'm picking up these little patterns yeah the the second house cusp being in scorpio scorpio being a very like vampiric kind of sign to me that's very interesting now not everyone with the scorpio second house is going to have an appetite for blood okay i'm just putting that out there (laughs) all right but (laughs) anyway just looking at these dates and uh looking at the progress in the transit charts it's just so crazy to me um what else did i see with this uh he also had uh so the transit nodes, the nodes of the moon, um, in this chart here, his north node is sitting on his natal IC, and the south node is sitting on the natal MC. Um, so when that kind of happens, it's like with the south node, you are being asked to let go of that, and the north node, you're being asked to go towards that. So in this case, he's being asked to let go of his public life, the MC. That's what the MC is. It's your public persona, kind of like the highest that you could reach for. It's where the the zenith in the sky is, if you think about it, just on a logical correlation level. And then the IC is like you have to go within and focus on the internal for a little while. So that's very much like a huge trigger point with his father's death there to be like, okay, you gotta you gotta go within now. But anyway, let's just one little teeny tiny I see Providence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was great. Thank you. And man, a lot of the stuff you guys are bringing up uh totally fits nicely with some of the information I want to drop on you guys um in the second half. Do it. So <laughs> that's really cool. Well, let's go around. Gravy. I hate to ditch this huge crowd we've got on YouTube, but I have faith that some of you will follow us over to Rockfin. I got I got one more gem to that I'd like to just leave. Oh on. yeah, there's no time limit. Okay. Just one more one more share here if I can manage to not fail again. Let's see. Oh, <laughs> oh, I think I solved my problem. Is that working? Yeah. There you oh, go. Okay. So move I, that little thing that says StreamYard is sharing your screen at the bottom. You can just drag that over. Right. And on. make sure you give us some good zooming in on things that you want to focus on. All right. This is great. So this right here is a uh, very famous image. This was probably put in everybody's mind in high school. Uh, if you took a history class, and you learned about General Jackson slaying the many-headed monster of the banks, this was probably in your school books, if uh, very likely, like incredibly proliferated image right here. And so uh, what is about to happen, 
is uh, adheres to the definition of magic, which uh, definition one of many definitions of magic is uh, alignment and manipulation of natural elements in concordance to your will. So I want to just kind of close off the, uh, I want to make this assessment, this grand assessment that if the banks are about to collapse, if the finances are about to all turn over, that they are summoning very ancient fears and uh, historical uh, uh, phobias uh, that have happened to our elders. And so these fears of a collapse are in our DNA. And I think that they are counting on those elements, those natural elements of our uh, our memory, our, our memory from the past, be it whatever whatever worldview you have. If you believe in reincarnation or you don't, either way, it's in our DNA to be afraid of uh, financial collapse uh, in the battles that are inevitable as a result. One thing about these planets and anything astrological is that uh-huh. it's got a, there's a shadow and a light side. There's yes. Many ways, like no one really knows the future when they look at astrology. Yes. They see tendencies, they see potentials, they see possibilities. Maybe they see providence. Uh-huh. <laughs> the whole point of social engineering is to plant symbolism into the subconscious minds of the people and generate the outcome that is desired by influencing everyone's feel on the feeling level, on the emotional level of what they feel like and think is about to happen. So Mm -hmm. I want to put it out there that if we don't believe in the spell and and like we don't live our life as if we're about to experience ruin and wreckage and instead orient ourselves towards sovereignty and, you know, liberation in a new level of way of connecting to wealth and prosperity outside of whatever you know, booby trap, mouse trap, <laughs> cheese on the mouse trap thing that yep. they've got set up for for most people. We can we can experience the plutonic aspect of like wealth and and riches and prosperity and abundance and yes. transformation. Yeah. And that's the key here. Yeah. That's like part of why I want to bring this information forward. It doesn't just be like, look at the Scooby spooky Cthulhu monster, <laughs> right? You know, yep. The barter we got to get on a barter system. You know, exchange of, of real goods. I got one more thing. I don't know if it's going to muddy the waters or not, but we're talking about the early, you're talking about financial collapse, which we're seeing now. Uh And we're talking about money. The great depression happened through his lifetime, 1929, the OG black Friday. How does that play into everything? Did you guys dig anything up or maybe on the second hour, we can decipher a little bit about black Friday and the, the great depression Right. All these things, because that that was during his lifetime it was 1929, which that's there was a financial collapse. Yeah, that's interesting, because 29 is the that's a more accurate Saturnian orbit. Black Friday day. That's the mm-hmm. uh, that's Saturn's wife. Is yes. Um, can you pull me back up, Chance, real quick? I would just want to uh, make these quick correspondences. OK, so I'm in on that. Yep, I did the Gamatria for Pluto return and the Gamatria for H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> and I got some really interesting numbers. First of all, this image of Cthulhu, this image of Cthulhu, it has three wise men. Oof, and the See baby the three wise men. The baby. They're even they're even disjointed exactly like the belt of Orion. It's just a little bit of broken line there. Definitely indicating that Osiris uh the belt of Orion uh, ritual. 
But I noticed, I couldn't help but notice the 249 and the 249 in H.P. Lovecraft that is so close to uh, Plutonic Pluto return. It's 248 days. But what really stood out to me. Days or years? I'm sorry, years. Thank you. Thank you. I just want to clarify. Yeah. (laughs) That would suck. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, and then I saw all these 54, 54, 54, 54. A whole lot of 54s. We got a 45 down here in Septenary. Um, and five and four, like I said before, that's the occulted symbol of Saturn is this trippy looking five symbol. And the four is Jupiter right here. I consider those two pillars and they are very clearly two pillars. When you look at the Enneagram here and you have Pluto is number nine up, at- up top. Coming through the gates. Ruler, oh. Ruling the underworld because everything below the nine is under it. You got it. You got oh. it. I love that. Dude. Wanna... So I'm done. You can you can take it off. That's all I got on that. I got two things to add real quick. Yes. Number one, thank you, Chance, for bringing in the light. Because you're right. I can look, anybody can look at a chart. But the one thing that you'll never see in the chart is the human soul their individual willpower and their soul. So you're exactly right. The planets will show tendencies and it's up to you to make the decision whether you're going to be a passive passenger like Gabe was hinting at or take the driver's seat and make the choices that you know need to be made to better yourself as a human being. 100%. And you can never, ever spot a psychopath in a chart. Trust me, I've tried. <laughs> okay? I have tried. You can't do it. <laughs> um, so that was one thing. So, yeah, th- thanks for that. Um, the other thing I wanted to briefly mention was Pluto's crazy orbit. So this is what we're told, right? We're told that we've got the sun and the planets orbiting, and they're all kind of on the same plane, and right? This is, what, this, this is what we're told. And then there's Pluto, and he totally breaks this pattern. His orbit from what we're told (laughs) i don't have a telescope to check this out myself but we're told that here's the plane of everybody else's orbit and this is pluto's orbit kind of goes like this and rather than being more circular and perfect it's elliptical and there is one point where pluto came in between or in front of neptune so he was closer to earth than neptune and this was the point when Pluto came like this and then crossed Libra and then Scorpio and then down into the underworld and then is now is like on the way back out. But anyway, I thought that was super fascinating and just kind of like a weird kind of like oddball thing. Um, that is so is that deviant like from that. the ecliptic part of why, like an occult reason why they're like, it's not really a planet. Yeah. Oh, Maybe. yeah. I don't know. Could be. That's like, a, that's almost uh that was our disclosure that it's like, uh, we're, we're dealing in fiction. Oh no, it's real again. Oh no, mm-hmm. it's fiction. Oh no, it's real. If it's real, you can't unmake it and, yeah. and recreate it. it can't. Oh, we showed you. Ha ha ha. Right. No, we're going to take it away. <laughs> Just kidding. I, I think this is it. I think this is the point of transference over to the, the premium side on Rockfin and then later uploaded to Patreon, but plenty of time. Nobody's got to rush. I got to let you guys go around the horn, talk about your work, how people can connect to you, anything that you want to share about your work at all. And as much about it as you want. Like I want to make sure we all get a chance to give the audience a way to 
hear more of our perspectives individually if they haven't heard of any of you particular folks before, although they very likely have. So let's just start with Gabe and just go around clockwise. Back to me. Nice. Uh, yeah, Slick Dissident is my YouTube channel name. My name is Gabe. Um, and I got to say, like, uh, my, I'm probably going to do a continuation on this work over on my channel because a lot of what we're bringing to bear here is uh, kind of uh, giving even more uh, substance to my territories work. Um, and I mean, my territories work has just begun to really uh, take life. Um, so uh, come on over and see where I take this from here because the two or three hours that we do tonight is just the beginning. I got a feeling this whole thing is going to really launch off. Uh, but come over to the second hour and get a taste of what I'm talking about because we're about to we're about to summon the the Cthulhu from the deep. Unleash the Kraken. <laughs> I'm not summoning shit. Fuck you guys. <laughs> yeah, me neither. That wasn't my plan tonight. What are you talking about? Well, we we want to do a territories episode on on my channel too because I, I really want to bring that information forward to people and. Yeah. All over the place. It's so innovative and unique and insightful. So yeah, Reverend Juan. Uh-huh, I, I believe that into- they can find you at the one-on-one podcast with the at symbol, according to your, your tag there. Yeah. So I'm, I, I love how I turned into a meme during this whole time. I was trying to be serious, bring some, some, some culture to this podcast stream and I just get made fun of, but yeah, find me, (laughs) find me at the Juan on Juan podcast. And it's the Juan on Juan. You guys keep calling me Juan to Juan, but it's all, it's it's all love. It's all love. It's all love. And I, I I I talk one on one. Yeah. At the beginning, you guys are like mixing it up, but it's, Hey, it's all good. You know, it's all love. So find me on there at the one on podcast across all social media platforms, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, all that good stuff. I do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash the one on one podcast. I post exclusive content on there for the, the people. And yeah, I have a podcast where I talk about the occult conspiracy theories, all the goodness, all the good stuff, HP Lovecraft, all that goodness. So yeah, follow me on there. All right, Mario. Yeah, so you can find me at SymbolicStudies.com. Uh, I do a lot of work uh, based on the Zodiac right now and the tarot. And so I make, I make bite-sized videos that are like one to three minutes long. And uh, I have a few projects in the works right now. I'm going to be releasing my first digital product, some elemental correspondence sheets. Uh, Gabe, check those out. Give me some feedback. And uh, yeah, I think I'm going to start doing readings for people and uh, study sessions too. Some people wanted like one-on-one Juan on Juan study (laughs) sessions just to like dive deep into certain symbols or signs or cards or whatever. So that's something that's going to be available here pretty soon. But yeah, symbolicstudies.com. You can find all my social stuff there. Love to see you expanding what you're doing, man. You're a wealth of, of knowledge. Appreciate you here. Thanks dude. That goes for all of you actually. I would totally come to some study sessions. That would be sweet. Hell yeah. I'm into it. <laughs> That'd be sweet. Um, okay, cool. Yeah. Hi, my name's Kaylee. Uh, <laughs> I'll be here all week. 
<laughs> so I'm, I'm definitely not used to, um, I'm not, I'm not used to plugging myself. So this is weird, but anyway, yeah. So I, I do have a YouTube channel. Um, it is spelled exactly like my name on screen here. Kaylee Ricotta. Oh my God. Cthulhu came into the chat. They've come for us. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so yeah, you uh, you can come in YouTube. I don't release videos very often because I've been studying so hard the last little while. But yeah, I do astrology readings. I love doing natal chart readings. Um, something that I have been uh, exploring lately, actually, that I haven't started doing for people, but I plan to very soon, is um, figuring out the uh, conception or fertilization date and um, looking at that and comparing that to the birth chart. So that is... Yeah, I'm really excited because I, I did it for myself for my own chart. And then I ended up like, I ended up immediately after that listening to the Placent Apocalypse episode with uh, Gabe and Cheney and having like a religious fucking experience while I was listening to this podcast after That's figuring this out. That's what I was trying out. to create with that episode. Yes, I was trying to create yes, like yes, some yes. transcendental awareness there, man. Seriously, it blew my I mind the same way when the dots was, started to connect. I was sitting there like literally crying like oh my god but anyway so um that's kind of what i've been into lately and um that's what i do so yeah all right all these beautiful folks are linked in the show notes and we're gonna play the youtube crowd out with some music and give ourselves three and a half or so minutes to stretch or get a drink or go tinkle whatever we got to do but in closing in this first hour i just want to bring this image up of the uh, the universal order, <laughs> you got Cthulhu, puppet stringing Galactus, then the gray alien, and then the reptilian, and then I don't know what. It goes nice. all the way down to you know your standard bankers and oligarchs. But the point of me showing this image is that if we believe that there is an external power that is greater than the divine spark within us, and that is able to order and ordain our life in a way that constrains our free will. And in any way revokes the spark of individuality and the destiny of uniqueness that allows us to thrive and enjoy and experience life for for all of the, the offers that it's got for us, all the beauty, all the love. If we ever believe that such a boogeyman exists, there will always be a bigger one than that one and then a bigger one than that one. And we will continually project both our shadow and virtue into the external, into the void, and thus nullify our potential across the board in ways that we can't understand until we take and reclaim that power back. So the real beauty of returning to reality and dispelling fiction, as we're trying to do with this conversation, while also considering the possibility of, of yes, externals and of, yes, life force energy and configurations beyond our understanding, all of it in my intent And the meaning that I want to bring forth is that we got the power. Cthulhu ain't got shit. If you see Cthulhu, tell him that, you know, he's a part of you and ask him what he knows, you know, be like, tell me. So tell me what's up. (laughs) Find out instead of fearing and getting all divided and disjointed by the, these, uh, these boogeyman's that really exist in the mind, just because something's in the mind and in the imagination doesn't make it lack reality essentially, because everything's imagination. But it, it, what's important is to recognize that we are the source. We are the imagination. We are God, the God that dreams reality into existence, all of us. So that's the beauty that I want to bring forth out of this like horrific darkness <laughs> and transition into hour two with this music. And it's going to be 
all kinds of crazy. So we'll put up the uh, the beats and thanks everyone for being here. See you on the other side. This track is by Danheim. It's kind of like some dark Norse folky epic thing that I found and dug up. So see you guys on Rockfin. I'll link that in the show notes again or in the chats and also in the show notes, you've got everybody's links. Much love. Thanks for showing up to our Cthulhu party. It has been awesome. See you on the other side. Peace, y'all. What? Wrong music. Okay, this is the one. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's not it. Okay, hold on. Oh, my gosh. It uploaded funky, so I I can fix this instantly. What's going on? (laughs) I can fix this instantly, though. No worries. No worries. Here we go. What the hell? Hold on. Maybe this didn't render right. That would be a bummer. One second. This is awkward, right? This is awkward, man. I thought it was going to be the most badass... Those fucking ever? <laughs> Hold on a second. We we could show Juan's sweet show intro that he made. I bless this this uh, by the by the power vested in me by the Church of the Subgenius. I bless this stream. So, uh, boom. you know what? Why don't you know what? I won't let this stand. I want this to work. So this will take like five seconds to render. You guys just shoot the breeze for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I want this mid-show music. I put it all together. I can't just waste that work. Can, can I just say I love you guys? I appreciate this so much. This is fun. Likewise. Oh and uh, I, I mentioned um, in our in our private chat leading up to this that um, since we're talking about HP Lovecraft and fear, that uh, I was every time I come on camera, I'm facing some pretty some pretty big fears. I don't like public speaking. I don't, <laughs> I don't I don't like confrontation. I don't like any of that stuff. So I appreciate you guys being as awesome as you are. That I feel comfortable enough to to do stuff like this. So nice. Yeah, and you're doing great. Yeah, seriously, beautiful, awesome info. It's all love, you know. That's what it's all about. And I, I mean, I was one right when I first started. I was listening to the first episode I ever did, and I'm such a completely different person. I was cringing at myself, hearing myself on the very first interview and podcast I ever recorded. And it was, you know, I've I've evolved. I'm way more confident now than I was way back, and I couldn't even imagine. You know, I do have some sort of social anxiety. I'm a little bit of a Lovecraft myself, but you know, it's all love. And that's what, this is what it's all about. This community, right? They're so supportive and so cool. And I just love that about it. Yeah. You know, I was, uh, when I listened to Juan's breakdown on Lovecraft, I, you, you mentioned that one of Lovecraft's lines is that fear is the most powerful emotion in the human experience. And that was when I know we're dealing with fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is when we crossed over into the realm of fiction because he is not correct. More than he's meets never, the eye. He's That's never right. been in love. That's right. Love. Love is the most powerful force that there is. He just hadn't got there yet because he was a damn virgin forever. <laughs> <laughs> That's why the Pythagoreans regarded the number eight, right? The infinity symbol as love because, right, mm. love overcomes everything. And that quote that you're talking about, it's, the strongest and oldest kind of emotion is fear and it's fear of the unknown, right? Fear of the nice. unknown, which That's I got it. some stuff for the next sec, the second hour of this on, on some stuff, stuff about stuff. That's going to get real juicy. So <laughs> can we yeah, get some, some VIP club stuff? That's so right. come join us on Rockfin. I yeah, just realized in 25 seconds, this music will be rendered out and ready to play. <laughs> I have corrected this on the fly. That's how, that's how good I am.
I just realized that Virgo is the ninth month. There's another nine. We've been talking oh, about Pluto all along, and I, I missed the most obvious nine staring us in the face the whole time. Yeah. So if you look at the Hermit card, he's even making a nine. So he usually has like a hunchback and everything, mm. and he's holding his lantern. It's the ninth card. And so he's actually like <laughs> evoking the number nine with that position, with that stance there, you know? And you it's know, one what? of my favorite cards. Let's just point out that that's when the fucking towers went down. Nine, eleven, one, one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All yeah, right. Yeah. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. We're going to the second hour. All right. <laughs> All right <laughs> We're ready. Yeah. It's gonna work this time. Seeing a few. Yeah. Thanks for the uh, for bearing with us, and you know, just got a little bit longer of a show. It's all good. See you on Rockfin. Uh, watch for the link in the chat if you didn't already see it. Peace, y'all. There will be a timer on the screen to let you know how long you got for your break. So we just come back here?